0: Good morning, everyone. So glad to be with you guys to open up the Word of God. If you don't mind, uh, join me in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. In Philippians, chapter 1, I want to talk about how to turn misery into ministry. Philippians, chapter 1, it's a familiar text. Here, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. The occasion of his letter is because he is receiving a love gift, a, a care package, if you will, from the church of Philippi. church of Philippi has heard that Paul is in prison and they sent a dear friend named Epaphroditus. And on the journey, Epaphroditus becomes sick and almost dies. Paul receives Epaphroditus, is, is encouraged by this care package, and writes this letter as a thank you for all that Epaphroditus and the church of Philippi has done. If you're looking for the backstory of the church of Philippi, it's in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, it is a huge beginning for this young church plant. There is an Asian businesswoman that's a tycoon in the area, known as Lydia, who sells purple. She becomes a convert. There is a young girl that is being exploited and trafficked because of a demonic prophetic gift she has. Paul exercises the demon out of her, and because of the inability of those perpetrators to make money off that woman, they throw Paul and his companions into prison. In prison, Paul begins to pray and give praise to God, and the whole jail begins to shake. At that time, the jailer thinks that they have escaped, only to find Paul and his companions still there, and thankful for a second chance, he asks Paul, what must I do to be saved? And that's the beginning of the church at Philippi. They're anxious to find out what happens to Paul in this Roman prison. Right now, Nero is the Caesar during that time. It would be under the reign of Nero that he would burn down the city of Rome to claim insurance and blame it on the Christians. Worldwide persecution would break out. He would literally light Christians on fire in his garden. As lampposts. It would be under the reign of Nero that Paul would be beheaded eventually, that Peter would be crucified upside down. They're worried about their missionary. In addition to their worry, they're also anxious because as you read the book of Philippians, there are two sisters having a fight in the church. Brothers, let me tell you never get between two fighting sisters. But yet Paul does, tells them to pursue unity. And he gives a odd word of prescription here. You can have joy no matter what. God doesn't merely just turn water into wine. God can turn misery into ministry. It was the 16th century in Holland where the Mennonites were being outlawed and, and executed. On one dark night, Dirk Wellens was being chased by a a person that was trying to capture him and turn him in. They were running over an ice field. His pursuer fell in. And as Dirk heard the cries of his pursuer, he went back and actually rescued him, only to be turned in and executed and burned at the stake. It was his Christ-likeness that led to his persecution. Even at the risk of his own life, Dirk Willens was willing to save another person, even though he was facing disaster, because he knew there was a greater disaster facing that person. Friends, that's the context we got to get to understand Philippians 1. Many of us would sacrifice ourselves to save someone from physical disaster, but Paul has sacrificed himself to save others from eternal disaster. Here, Paul wants us to get that even though persecution, In prison has come his way. He can have joy no matter what. Starting with verse 12 in Philippians chapter 1, it says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The the others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Here, Paul is encouraging them that they should rejoice even in spite of the difficult circumstances. They are anxious about Paul. Paul is anxious to tell them to have joy. And, and the, the thing that I think is relevant to us this afternoon is to ask ourselves, how can we have joy in difficult circumstances? I believe the main point of verses 12 through 18 is simply this. A gospel-centered life will produce joy because all misery can be lived through as ministry. That's the jewel Paul finds in prison. Even though he's suffering and going through trials and tribulation, even though Epaphroditus almost died on the trip there, even though there is a looming division at the church of Philippi, even though it seems like Nero is reigning on the throne of the world, he has joy because this ministry is pouring through his adversity. Verses 12 through 14, we see one thing. Uh, God can use a prison to reinforce your purpose. God can use a prison to reinforce your purpose. See this in verse 12. Paul is saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has propelled the gospel. It has catapulted the gospel even further. Here Paul gives an interesting progress report. He's saying that the gospel has not failed because of his failure, but instead the gospel has flourished. Shouldn't we define that? The gospel that Jesus saves sinners. The gospel that Jesus came and lived the life we should have lived and then died the death we should have died. The gospel that means that Jesus lived a perfect life and died a horrible death. And on the cross, Jesus takes our sins and exchange, gives you his righteousness. He absorbs our hell so we might have eternity in heaven. This is the heartfelt message Paul says I live for, and when I suffer, it has gone forward. Good news is here in verse 12, we see where the gospel should have been muted, it actually was multiplied. That even though Paul was captive, he now had a captive audience. That even though Paul was now in chains, he was able to preach Christ. And here we see what we can really grab from this is the good news is so good, we don't have to worry about the bad news. Can I just ask you a question? If you were to receive a text right now in the middle of this message, what's the worst news you could receive? For some of you, it could be test results from a doctor. For others, it could be an update from a distant relative that is facing death or a car crash, and you would feel helpless because of how far you are right now. For some of you, it may be that your children have given up on the faith. I'm not sure what could be the worst news in this moment, but I know that if you have this good news that Jesus has saved you from death, wrath, and eternity to God the Father, that that good news will always eclipse the bad news in your life. See, that's what Paul gets this good news is so huge, so magnificent, that he sees how this good news of the gospel is going forward, and regardless of the bad news, the good news is always greater. In verse 13, he says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. What has happened to me? Could you imagine? Paul's chained, In every moment, he keeps on having his purpose reinforced by one question. So what you in for? Why are you here? So where they catch you on? And time after time and time again, Paul says the gospel. I'm here because of Jesus Christ. Paul is exhorted in this. He is lifted up in this. Paul is answering that the setback was an opportunity for a setup, and he's seeing that he is nothing but a bow that is being pulled back and suffering, but is allowing the arrow of the gospel to go forth. See, what Paul wanted to do in his strength, God would only do through his weakness. Guys, that's the answer to many of our questions on why God has given us the routes we have pursued That maybe God hasn't given you that promotion, that maybe God hasn't given you that spouse, that maybe God hasn't given you that area of success in your life because he will take away every option until you realize he was always the only option. Until you take your strength and rely on God and know that God has to use us, and it's not our intellect, it's not our strength, it's not our background, it's not what we're connected to, but whom we're connected to, and only God will get the glory you've been called to ministry and pursuing ministry you'll come to this reality those who God uses greatly he often breaks mightily the reason Paul could be used greatly is because he was humbled in this pool of suffering in prison with no resources beyond the good news that Jesus has saved my soul verse 14 he says now there's brothers who are encouraged there are people who are Who are more bold, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from what? My imprisonment, and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. See, this hope made them bold. Once they saw Paul suffering, they knew that God was supplying strength and joy and perseverance to Paul in prison. How much more could he do it with us? They saw Paul being bold no matter what, so they were willing to be bold no matter what. See, Paul used his weakness, his trauma. And what he went through as a platform to serve others. What we can understand from this, friends, is we can always do something with whatever happens to us. The truth is, you will not live this life unmarked by sin. You will not live this life not going through suffering and trials and tribulations. But the question is, what will you do with what happens to you? What do you do with the trauma from your childhood? What do you do with the daily appointments of chemo? What do you do with the bitter taste of death from last year? What do you do with your season of infertility? What do you do when you are in financial ruin because of a hard year? What do you do when the bills keep coming but the check hasn't come? Paul is saying, I have joy because my joy is in Jesus and letting others know Jesus is in me. And once I have the gospel, that cannot be taken away. And yet when people look at me through my weakness... They see my peace. They see my praise. They see my joy. They see me rejoicing, and they ask why. And my only answer I can give them is because God has saved me. See, when people look at my broken pieces, they see the masterpiece of Jesus. When people see my hope through cancer, they can see Jesus as ultimate healer. When people see my joy in prison, they can see Jesus as ultimate liberator. When people see Jesus through my pain, they can see Jesus as my ultimate Joy. Now, can we be honest? It's often not how we do American contemporary church. We have a spirit of triumphalism and being overcomers and gathering 1 p.m. on Sunday mornings and pretending like we have everything together. Hushing the kids, wrapping up that argument, sipping down the coffee, Get the caffeine running in my veins. Even though I'm grumpy, I'm broken, there's trials waiting for me once I leave here. But what if people saw your brokenness? What if instead of hiding our flaws in the church, we would let them platform Jesus? Here's the thing I've learned. People will naturally be inspired by your strength, but it always leads them to idolization or competition? I mean, how many times over and over again have we seen a ministry leader only platform their strengths and become an idol in people's lives? And the moment that idol is taken away, simultaneously, they lose faith in Jesus. Or maybe it's on the other side, it's competition. And you say, man, I will bring that person down, I will criticize that person, gossip about that person, so that I can become the idol I want to be. But what about weakness? What leaders do you know that are transparent, that are always sharing where they need to grow in the Lord and always sharing their past and their testimony is always in the present tense? See, weakness is a lens that always points to reliance. See, it allows you to understand that Jesus isn't just working on us in the past tense. Jesus is working on us in the present tense. And here's the beautiful thing. In sharing the gospel and sharing Jesus being our stretch and not merely just a crutch. The world is more hungry to hear that than Christians who have it all together. You give somebody a beautiful gift when you tell them where you are weak, and it's the ability to go second. John Piper tells this illustration of a missionary who was low on funds and actually had no shoes for his journey, and he was walking from one town to another. He finally got to this tribe where he knew they were hostile to the gospel and preaches the good news to them and they run him out of town. Discouraged and almost suicidal, he breaks down underneath a tree asking God to take his life. As he falls asleep, he wakes up and notices the elders of the tribe surrounding him. At that moment, he thinks to himself, God has answered my prayer. I'm going to die right here underneath this tree. But instead, the elder of that tribe speaks up, and he says, We have seen the bottom of your feet, and we know that you are a holy man, and that whatever you had to tell us was worth the brutality you went through. Tell us the message you have. And it was at that moment that he shared the beauty and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, can I tell you some of the most beautiful moments of sharing the gospel will be in a funeral home. One of the most beautiful moments you have of sharing the gospel will be with nurses and doctors who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. But in our darkest moments, listen to me. Jesus shines brightest. Second thing we see from here is that God can use persecution to reinforce praise. See this at the bottom of verse 18. The bottom of verse 18, it says this, What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Now, I almost struggle to read this. I can imagine the Philippian church thinking, man, Maybe Paul is being too optimistic. Is he being real with what he's going through? Is he telling us how he really feels? But would you remember the story in Acts chapter 16 I alluded to? Who would be there at that Philippian church, possibly, who would definitely understand what Paul is like in prison? The Roman jailer. The one who had given his life to Christ, who had seen what Paul is like in prison. Remember, Paul and his friends are praying and praising God, and it shakes that jail. And he runs to them, thinking that they have escaped and he will be persecuted. But instead, Paul offers grace, and he stood there, and they asked Paul, what must we do to be saved? Here, this Roman jailer is telling everybody in that church, Paul lives this. Paul has joy. I know he had joy. When he was here and we tried to persecute him, he had the same mentality we can have it. See, Paul is is rejoicing even though he's in prison and facing persecution. See, right now there's two groups of people. There are some who are preaching the gospel because they are more bold because of Paul's perseverance. But then there are some who are actually angry at Paul. Maybe because he's imprisoned. Maybe because he is the leader and they want to take his place. And they're hoping that as they preach, it will lead to greater persecution and maybe a stricter judgment for Paul. Paul says in verses 15 through 16, yes, there are some that are preaching out of love, there are some that are envious, but no matter what, I praise God because the gospel is being preached. Now, let me pause here because some people quote this verse to give false teachers a pass. Paul is not allowing them to pass because of their message, but because of their motivation. Paul says they have the wrong motivation, but they have the right message. See, in Galatians 1, verses 8, Paul did condemn false teachers. He says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. So Paul's not affirming false teachers, but he's extending grace to sinners in ministry. He's asking us, listen to me. In the book of Philippians, to have right actions, but also right affections. And it's dangerous going to church, living in the motions of actions, and then never letting the Holy Spirit interrogate our affections. Why do you come to the grove? Why are you committed to this, this church plant in Claremont? Are you at church because of desire or obligation? Are you pursuing ministry for purpose or for the praise of others? Are you serving to be close to God or to be close to a leader? See, Paul is asking us to interrogate our motivations so that they are pure and always in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's where burnout happens in church. You have the right actions, but you slowly lose those affections. You forget why you set up chairs. You forget why you change locations. You forget why you give scandalously. You forget why you wake up an hour before everybody else. You forget why your parking lot is the only parking lot on Sunday morning that doesn't have cars in the, in the driveway. You forget why you wrangle kids on Sunday morning. You forget why you swallow fear and share the gospel at Crackleberry. You forget why, and all of a sudden, you forget the why, and you slowly stop doing the what. Paul is saying we want to have pure motivations, and he rejoices regardless, because the gospel is going forward. The God has used his weakness and made it a strength. Friends, that's good news. Maybe you have been here, and you've been wondering, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God take my mom from me? Why would God allow cancer to strike my body? Why would God allow my children to walk away from church? God is trying to show you in the valley of the shadow of death that you need to cling closer to the good shepherd. And show him to a world that he's your ultimate treasure. Here's the irony. That God can take somebody who grew up without a father to be a mentor to the fatherless. That God can take somebody who didn't grow up in church to be a church planter and a missionary. That God can take somebody who was once addicted to drugs to be a counselor and guidance to many. So I don't know what your weakness is, but I can guarantee you in every seat, there's a weakness God can use. There was an all-star basketball athlete who was in a tragic car accident. He was noted to be one of the first draft picks, but after the car accident, those dreams were shattered because they had to sever his right arm to rescue him. After months of depression and anxiety, he finally decided to re-engage his athletic ability and found himself in mixed martial arts. He was serving under this sensei and master that was actually beginning to frustrate him because he would only show him one takedown move. No matter what he asked or how he pressed the master, he would just show him this one move over and over again till finally he comes to his first tournament. He jumps into the match, tries to utilize some things he had seen other people do that wasn't working, and then finally he resorts to the move the master had shown him, taking down this particular person, and he wins the match instantly. He goes to the second round. This time, he wastes no time. He does the takedown that the master had shown him, and it is an instantaneous win. Finally, in the championship match, he's facing Someone a little bigger, a little stronger. Once again, he resorts to his athletic ability, and his height, and agility. And it doesn't work. And finally, he does the takedown the master told him to do, and wins the match. He's surprised. He's puzzled. He, he thinks to himself, how in the world did I win this championship with only one move? He goes back to his master, and he says to his master, how in the world did I win this? Why would you only show me one move? To which the master replies, the only way you can counter that takedown is by grabbing the right arm. Some of y'all will get that in the morning. But the master knew. I could take this weakness and make it a strength. The master knew if I, if I take this weakness and make it a strength, you will have to rely on me. You'll have to do what I tell you to do. you have to do what I showed you. You would have to rely on what the master told you instead of your own strength, your own ability, your own eloquence, your own money, your own finance. You would have to be in a position where you rely on God and the master gets All the glory. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be in life. Where God can use my weaknesses and all of my frail moments and get the glory from weak voices, weak preaching, weak in and weak out. Where I give God my best, but over and over again, God uses my weakness to become a strength to see more people come to know Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, God can take your misery, and turn it into ministry. Father, right now we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And for a moment we pause to interrogate our own hearts. Father, I pray that your people here at the Grove would see where there is unprocessed hurt, maybe bitterness or resentment towards you, I pray, Father, that they would examine how they actually feel about those unanswered prayers. That this morning we would leave it in your hands, trusting, Father, you know best. That we would rejoice with Paul that a prison can reinforce our purpose and that persecution can, can reinforce our praise, that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you love us. We know this is the great news because Jesus has given his life, and Romans 8 tells us, if God, who will not spare his only son for us, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? Some of us this morning need a new perspective on the good news so it can eclipse the bad news in our life. Doesn't mean it's not real, Father. Doesn't mean it's not visceral. Doesn't mean it doesn't weigh heavy on us, but you told us that your burden is light, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. So, Father, I pray that my friends will leave out of here Re energized because you could take our misery and make it ministry. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.